Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Disney Film Project podcast. We are your folks who will take a deep dive into the well of Disney films. We'll wade into the waters of filmic goodness and swim through the seas of Disneyana with a smooth and gentle stroke, befitting our gentle nature as fine swimmers. I'm your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, owner, proprietor, blogger, all-around person of Disney Film Project, located at DisneyFilmProject.com. My friends, co-hosts, companions, they are with me this evening. First up, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, blogger for TouringPlans.com, all-around Disney tech support master for DisneyDrivenLife.com, qualified cinema studies major, um, and somebody I'll be seeing very soon. How are you? Minor, minor, but that's okay. Um, I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm having a cold evening here for Florida, but not as cold as everybody else, so I don't want to get too into that. Um, it's not fair. But um, it's good, yeah. Are, nice. are, are you not the only state in the union that does not have snow right now? Is that, I is that correct? I figure us and Hawaii, right? <laughs> okay, I'm going to uh, – I'm leaving to head down there to tomorrow. I'm going to put snow in a cooler, and I'm going to make it all 50. <laughs> That is my current mission. All right, our other co-host, the one and only Miss Brianna Alessio, renowned blogger, The Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com, and they are indeed adventures. How are you, Brie? I'm doing really good. How are you, Ryan? Uh, I'm very, very busy, but but good. And and as I said, I am leaving for Florida, where I will see the, the Perlmutters, so that's always a good thing. You're very lucky. I am. I am. Uh, but of course, the the person who probably just edited all of that out because she probably doesn't want to listen to me talk, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, lovely and talented Disney fan, internet superstar, who is responsible for hearing any of this and who uh, has done a bang up job editing. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? Doing good. How are you? I'm okay. Let me mention something. Uh, I'm, I, and these guys have no idea that I'm going to mention this. So. Um, let me mention something that came up in Inner Mouse the other day. Our good friends over at Inner Mouse, Scott, John, JL, Nicole, they are working with the Power of Ten project. Todd, I know you're I know you're in the loop on this and Cheryl and you guys. This this is something that's really close to my heart. My old job, I used to do a lot of work. The idea behind this is to raise money for Give Kids the World. Like I said, my old job I used to raise a lot of money for Give Kids the World. So this is something I really, really believe in. So all of you guys out there, it's a simple idea. You go to powerof10.us, www.powerof10.us, and you donate $10 and get 10 of your friends to donate $10. And the idea being that if you get to 10,000 people, then we have raised a million dollars for Give Kids the World. So we've been to Give Kids the World. It's a it's a great place in, in the Orlando area that supports kids who might otherwise not get to travel to Disney World. So please, please, if you can, go and uh, That's right. That and out. surely with the thousands of people listening to us right now, we should be able to achieve this goal. If Valentine's Day is approaching or has approached or has left us or is somewhere in the nearby vicinity by the time you have all heard this. We have decided to review the most romantic movie in the Disney canon, the absolute one that stands above them all in uh, romance, which is, of course, Lady and the Tramp. Uh, there are some very interesting thoughts here. I have seen Bree and Todd have been tweeting me about things that I have no clue are related to Lady and the Tramp, so I am very scared. But I am going to <laughs> warn you now, we are going to talk about what happens in the movie. So if you are 
you know, four years old and you are using your Verizon iPhone to listen to the show, um, please make sure that you pause and watch the movie before you, uh, you listen to the show because you'll get much more enjoyment out of it that way. Everyone agree with that? Yes. Indeed. Is anyone, out of curiosity, is anyone actually getting a Verizon iPhone? I am. No. No. If I can get one for free, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, no. (laughs) Wait, I entered that contest on Deals Plus. Deals Plus is having a Twitter contest. You never know. Uh I won the free emergency. That's all I have to tell you. There you go. All right, so let's talk about the background of the film because it is almost as interesting a story as what is uh, in the film itself. So, so everybody sit down, crisscross applesauce. It's story time. Uh, let's talk about what's going on and how Lady and the Tramp became uh, Lady and the Tramp and not Dan the Whistling Dog, which was where it started, but that's a whole other thing. All right, so the way this kind of came about was sort of a melding of two different ideas. Back in 1937, when Snow White was in production and everybody at the studio was all stressed out and crazy, uh, Joe Grant, who was a story man at the studio, brought Walt some sketches of his dog, Lady, and asked about perhaps making a story or a short out of out of those sketches. And Walt said, okay, go ahead, turn them into a storyboard. And Grant did that, and Walt didn't like it. So they decided not to do that. Um, so then, about, let's fast forward about six years later, we're in the middle of World War II, and Disney's not producing as many features anymore, and they're looking for some things that will make some shorter films or things like that. So Walt, and now... Here's the here's the funny thing. I'm going to ask a question, and you guys probably already know the answer. He bought the the story Happy Dan the Whistling Dog, which is just a great name. Um, it sounds like a book my daughter reads. <laughs> Have you guys ever read Harry the Dirty Dog? No. No. Okay, sorry. All right, that's a whole other thing. Um, anyway, Lord <laughs> Green wrote this story Happy Dan the Whistling Dog, uh, but there's not much to the story. Do you know where Walt read the story? He bought the story from some. I, I remember he was. It's like New York City. He bought the story or something like that, right? Yes, but where did the story? Where did it appear? Where did he see it so that he could go buy it? Uh, he read it in a magazine. It was a magazine. It was Cosmopolitan. <gasps> there we go. So what we have learned this evening is that Walt was a Cosmo girl. <laughs> How about that? Go Walt. I mean, you learn things every day. But anyway, they've been so, reading every magazine in the industry. We don't know. That, that's a good point. He was a well-read man. Maybe he read magazines and not books. We don't know. We just don't know. We don't know. No. All right. But so uh, a story, So the way this comes about is uh, Grant had left the studio about six years later in 1949 when feature production got ramped back up at the studio. Um, some of the uh, artists found the story sketches of Lady. They had the rights to the Happy Dan, the Whistling Dog, and they thought, well, what if we put these two characters together and made something out of that? So that process took about four years, and in 1953, Walt and his friends had uh, Ward Green, the original author of Happy Dan, the Whistling Dog. I just like the sound of that, Happy Dan, the Whistling Dog. Um <laughs> So Ward Green wrote a novelization of the story that would be co- that was in development, which is the film that would become Lady and the Tramp, released it as a book, and then two years later, in 1955, we had a movie. 
And that is how Lady and the Tramp came to be. Very cool. That is. That's great. You guys are very understated this evening, but that's okay. <laughs> well, no, I know, I just, you know, I'm waiting to get into the story. I mean, that was, you know, well, the thing is, okay, this is um, the unique thing about the, this movie, right, is that it's the first one that's not, that's an, a completely in-house grown story almost, other than the origins of buying the story and stuff. It's not, it's an original story. It's not one that's like a, um, like a princess story or something that they read in a book or a Grimm's fairy tale. It's a story that was completely developed and then bought slash written by Disney and produced by Disney. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and happy Dan, the whistling dog. There it is again. The story, as far as I understand it, um, doesn't really give you anything except the character that would become Tramp. It really right. bears no relation to the story that ended up being Lady and the Tramp. So there you go. Yeah. All right. No. So the basic outline of the story of Lady and the Tramp, we have Lady, this lovely little cocker spaniel who is given to uh, the, the female of the piece, Darling. So the, the, the grown-ups in this piece or the adults or the Charlie Brown people who have no faces uh, are just referred to as Darling and Jim Deer, which I found very amusing. Yeah, well, there's a there's a reason for that, but we could look keep but going I on the story. When we come back. Oh, I also found it interesting that it was Darling, and then the Pia Pan family is Darling. That's right. Interesting. Just out yeah. there. <laughs> I think Cheryl has found some sort of Freemason conspiracy thing going on here. <laughs> more more twenty degrees of separation with each episode. Indeed. Just wait till I talk about how Dan resembles, or uh, Happy Dan the Whistling Dog, otherwise known as Tramp, uh, resembles Han Solo. But we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there, folks. Um, so, of course, Lady is presented to Darling as a present. Uh, she's just the best thing ever. And they, you know, the first part of the movie shows how she's fitting into the family life. And uh, then all of a sudden, she is less important, and she can't figure out why when her friends jump. <laughs> And old trusty. Um, they come and explain why this is bad, why this is all going on. It's because Darling is pregnant and there's going to be a new baby. Um, which apparently in dog world is a bad thing because it means the dog is not as important anymore. Uh, although I know, like, that would never happen of anybody who's listening to this show. Like, you guys would never mistreat your dogs because, because you had a new baby. That would be bad. Our dogs are our lives. Absolutely. Well, I, I kind of wonder about that though, because it's um, and I, not what you just said. I mean, about the, the dog perspective, <laughs> because it's um, wonders if our audience are dogs. Well, Trusty and um, Jock are trying to tell her it's not such a big thing. A baby's, you know, they're trying to give the babies a wonderful thing, enjoy it speech, and then Tramp kind of comes onto the scene and he paints this dark picture around babies and makes them seem like evil things. Can I actually ask a question about that scene? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Was anyone else a little bit disturbed when Tramp first entered Lady's life and he all of a sudden put on that woman's voice, like imitating a, a female owner of a dog, and all of a sudden his voice got like this? Was I the only one that was severely disturbed by that? Whatever you were talking about. Yeah. I wouldn't classify it as severely, but yes, it was quite disturbing. I was, I was kind of wondering, like, why was he doing that? It was clothes, guy in diapers. I from think Cat. it's part of it, the thing when he refers to them as the kennel club, yeah. and maybe it's kind of like the show, the show area of dog, air, dog area, which 
is like that. Like Martha Stewart is my best example for you guys. Okay. She's someone who shows her dogs. I mean, and, and so I think it's the type of society he was in, perhaps. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He's also, he's also got a bad opinion of humans. At least. Obviously. Right. Yes. And, and we don't ever actually learn the background for that. We just assume that if he's on the street, he's been pushed out. Maybe it's um, very similar to um, Mittens and Bolt, where clearly she's been thrown out because she was left behind, right? Um, you haven't seen Bolt, have you, Brianna? Yes, you're, 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 no. yes you can't you cannot talk anymore, Todd. <laughs> yeah, we, well, you know, there's, but it, 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 there are parallels. There are parallels, so it's important to mention. But um, with without ruining it too much, Mittens is the cat in the movie, and she's out on the street like Tramp. And but the same, but she gives a lot of background later on in the movie as to why she's out on the street. But my guess is Tramp probably had a similar run-in with humans and got kicked out or pushed out, perhaps because of a baby. Hence, why he paints this dark picture about babies for. Tr- lady and kind of gets her all scared about them yeah that's kind of what i deduced is like right is that he got thrown out because of a baby and that was the whole deal and that's how he went from happy dan the whistling dog to tramp yeah that sounds that sounds accurate brian yeah i'm guessing that. i'm guessing that's what it is but anyway so at that point tramp explains the whole deal and darling and jim Deere apparently after having the baby can't wait to get out of the house and leave the baby for whatever reason uh they take a trip and leave Aunt. they bring aunt sarah and her siamese cats into the house to to watch watch over things which is yeah. a bad idea um, they're bad idea siamese cats are clearly evil and, and doesn't everyone have an aunt sarah in in their family that, that annoying relative that you never want to come to your house every Christmas? Yes. So Aunt Sarah and the Siamese cats come in, and of course this is where we get our wonderful and lovely song from the We Are Siamese uh, cats, and they kind of frame Lady for the things that they do, breaking fish bowls and knocking things over, and, they, and of course Aunt Sarah is not a dog person. That, that was the one thing I did find funny in this movie is that there was very – clear delineation between the cat person and the dog person and the cat person was evil so i don't know what that says but just saying i could tell you what it says ryan no I, i'm guessing you could <laughs> um, so the <laughs> mischief that uh that lady was framed for aunt sarah takes her to get muzzled because she's afraid she's going to bite the baby which to me sounds like just an excuse but whatever uh she runs off from lady runs off when she gets muzzled and um some vicious dogs kind of have her cornered and tramp comes to the rescue um not whistling but you know baring his teeth and showing that he he's the alpha male there and this is of course where we get the fun and exciting uh romance part of the film uh, which we'll just skip over that. And, uh, no. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Uh, no, I mean, this is, this is where the real romantic part of the film comes in. It's where the, the most famous, one of the most famous scenes in any Disney movie probably is the spaghetti scene where, uh, there's a whole restaurant based on it. Walt Disney world, uh, where, uh, lady and Tramp slurp on the same piece of spaghetti, and he rolls the last meatball over to her with his nose. And I believe it was, I'll have to Google it, but I think it was voted like one of the most romantic moments in any film, uh, somewhere in like top ten or something. It also gets um, you know a lot of movies later on play homage to it by pulling it back and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so it's true. They do the same thing, you know, all over the t- all over the place. Like you know, like the carriage and falling down the stairs kind of thing. Yeah, uh, definitely my favorite scene in the movie. It's so romantic and sweet, and probably cliche, but you know, still. Well, but the thing is, is it, is it cliche because, like Todd said, everyone else has done it, or right. you know what I mean? That's that's kind of the thing you have to watch for when you're watching these movies that that have been around for fifty five years. It's like at the time, it probably wasn't that that cliche. Yeah, I mean, but but also mimicry can be considered flattery, so it's not like it's the worst thing in the world that people you know use oh. it like that. So, oh, absolutely, yeah, it's it's definitely an iconic scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So at that point, then Lady gets captured by the dog catcher on the way home and in the pound uh, learns about Tramp's sordid past uh, back when he was the whistling dog. Uh, and you get to hear from uh, Peg, the the puppy who sings about uh, how bad of a pup tra- uh, Tramp was. Uh, this is my favorite part of the movie, the part in the pound. But okay. I may be sick. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, considering that I cry every time I watch that film during that scene, you are a little sick, Ryan. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, like, if you look at the way that they did the scene, so I, I, I did some research on this, and, like, they knew they had to have, you know, so at the very beginning of the scene, there's a dog that's being led away, basically, to be put to sleep, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a, it's a, a pound dog, and um, they, they actually played off of prison movies that were really popular during the 50s. So all the link, they never say specifically that, you know, this dog is going off to be put to sleep. They just use the lingo of like prison movies at the time to imply it, which I thought is it's yes. really well done. If you if you study it, if you look at the craft of it and the lingo and and that sort of thing, it's really really good. There's there's a one of the clever things about the um the art in the in this particular scene is that when they're in the cages is that the bars on the cages shadow onto the dogs like prison stripes on uniforms, mm-hmm. right? And it's, so it's very it's, – it's, they're, they're clearly saying this is prison for dogs and this is what it's like. Um, it, it actually – it's actually um, – let's, let's talk – this is a good point to discuss this. It's, the whole movie, right, is, is not from a human perspective, right? If, if you notice it, it's 100 percent done from the dog's perspective, Right. That's why the humans are cut off from about mid chest level up. You only see them from, you know, you know, and stuff and you don't really get a clear picture of them because it's not about them. It's about the animals. Okay? Yeah, that's a good point. So so everything is shot it is, is the lower half of the world where Except the animals Sarah. live. Um, well, because she hunches over and she's, you know, she's not nice. So she might qualify in the animal kingdom. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> she is kind of evil. A little beastly. Yeah. Uh, but but the other part of that, like I said, so there's that, and then there's the juxtaposition with the very um, burlesque, funny humor of Peg singing this song about um, he's a tramp, right? And it's it's very much, again, same thing. Eric Larson, who animated that sequence, he actually, um, and I'm going to use air quotes here, even though it's an audio podcast, studied uh, burlesque dancers in order to figure out how to animate that scene. So, like, you'll see if you if you watch the scene of Peg and her singing the song, like, she uses her tail and her fur in much the same way that a burlesque dancer would use, like, a feather boa or things like that 
to like you know to draw your eye to a certain direction or or do things like that. It, again, it's very tasteful, right? It's not like it's not like you feel like you're watching something you know that's that's inappropriate, but it's right. it's very well done that you see you can see it like if once you know it you see it but if you don't know it it doesn't distract from the film yeah i want to make mention of that that cute scene too right before she sings he's a tramp and all the dogs are mentioning the names of all the the female dogs that that tramp has had affairs with you know mm. and that little chihuahua goes rosita chiquita juanita chihuahua that is one of my favorite parts <laughs> <laughs> I also found it interesting as is well okay, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, but no, please. um one of the one of the um female dogs that he supposedly was with was named Fifi, and doesn't that end up being one of his daughter's names at the end of the movie? I'm just saying, right? It, one it of the does. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but it does. <laughs> Rosita Fifi. I wonder if these guys are all named after the birds in the tiki room. Oh. Well, that would have been... The tiki room's, what, 61 or 62? Something like that, I think. Hold on. Google is my friend. Dun, 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 I'm Googling during the podcast. Dun, 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 More conspiracy dun, theories by Cheryl. <laughs> it, it could definitely be some sort of Freemason code that we don't know about. 63 was the Enchanted Tiki Room. But I mean, you know, there could be some sort of Rosita Fifi triangle code. I mean, I'm just saying it's possible. Are we <laughs> Am I? <laughs> hear what she said. What but Cheryl hasn't cut us off, so I think we are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we're recording this. This is the this is the golden stuff right here. This is what people want to hear. Exactly. They um, don't want to hear us talk about the movie. They want to hear about hidden code. <laughs> okay, to continue back into the film, um, I was going to say that I love the beginning, the opening credits, how it really reflected the time period, the music and everything, and then going along with the sketched photos of the the dogs. I thought that was great. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 The the opening scene when he gives um lady to um darling, okay, um that's actually a scene out of Walt's life. Did you know that? I he, do. Because uh, Walt gave Lily the chow on a uh, Christmas, and he gave it to her in a hat box. And it then, so it's it, this and and this scene was intentionally added to reflect that that scene in his life. Just so wasn't sure if people realized that or not. Oh, that's what? nice. I didn't know that. So yeah, so once uh, once they are in the pound, of course, Lady has a tag on her, so uh, the dog catcher has to return her to the darling home where Aunt Sarah is waiting and chains her up in the yard, which is not usual for Lady. She's an inside dog. Um, but that's kind of the – that leads into the, the climax of the film, right, because she's angry at Tramp. She's – you know, she's at her lowest point. She's chained outside, and uh, she sees a rat heading into the building uh, or into the home, and of course thinks that it's going to attack the baby. She starts barking and and going nuts. But you know, Aunt Sarah, being the evil cat person that she is, decides that uh, she she's just making noise. And uh, but tr when Tramp comes by, he he talks to Lady, sees what's going on, goes and rescues the baby, and. 
all's well that ends well. I mean, of course, Jim Deere and Darling come home and they see what's going on, but they figure out that Aunt Sarah's an evil cat person, and you know everybody moves on from there. <laughs> and she and she sends them cookies. <laughs> yeah, she sends the dogs cookies. <laughs> That's right. As if yes. uh, there we go. As a peace offering. That's right. I know those dogs. I, I'm not eating those cookies. <laughs> Unless they're in a the box that they, you know. Just, just check for cat paw prints. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Poison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, did you know? There's this, a few interesting things about um, the the names going on in the movie. First of all, did you know he's not actually named Tramp until he gets a collar? Because I know I did not. He is. That's because the movie is Lady and the Tramp. It's not Lady is her name, but uh, he's the Tramp. He's not Tramp. Okay. And they name him such at the end when he's got when he's got the thing when he, when he finally gets his collar because up until then he's got all these different families and he's got all these different names that he uses and even in Peg's song about him mm-hmm. he's a tramp and a cad he's not the, he's not tramp right it's it's oh, it's, it's, a, it's 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 a title at that point not a name yeah and then also different dogs call him different names around throughout the film. Like Jock calls him something and Trusty calls him something. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but all the different dogs call him different names. So you're right. Yeah, it's not until the very end that he becomes Tramp as his name. Until then, he's Happy Dan the Whistling Dog. At least him. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is to go back to the perspective thing is now there now we from the movie we get the we get the idea that their names are Jim and Dar- Darling Deer, right? But the question is is that. Are they, is that really their name, or is that what they call each other and what the dogs hear? Because remember, we're seeing things from a dog perspective, right? So when she she hears the name Jim, so she knows his name is Jim, and he calls her Darling, so that's her name, right? And they always follow up Jim Deer and Darling Deer, so she thinks that's the name of her people, her humans, right? Yeah. But it's not. It may not be their actual names because again, it doesn't it doesn't really matter for the story that they even are named, right? It's just. It's how they're credited, but it's not really necessarily their actual names because of the whole perspective thing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's, that, that it's probably not their names. Yes. Uh, I'm willing to make that statement. Well, the are going to get really confused when the baby grows up and she starts – or he starts calling them mommy and daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. The dogs are going to be like, what? No, that's Darling and that's Jim Deer. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Indeed. Hey, I wanted to make mention of um, Lady, uh, who was voiced by Barbara Luddy, who actually also voiced Meriwether from Sleeping Beauty. Oh, it gets better than that. Also, yes. Kanga from Winnie the Pooh. So there was a lot of that going on, though, in this era. Like in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, there was a lot of voices that got reused. You know, Sterling Holloway was in Saludos Amigos. He was in Three Caballeros. He was in, uh, he was, of course, the voice of Winnie the Pooh. He was in lots of other films around there. So a lot of the voices in this movie were voices that you've probably heard in other films uh, in the Disney canon in that time. Except for one. <laughs> oh. Um, there, there's one that did you kill one of them, Cheryl? What? <laughs> no, I did not. She dug him up. I googled him. It's like tonight's episode: Cheryl's conspiracies, uncovering the true past. Disney. So, it turns so, out, so who is this? This is the guy who played Tramp. His name was Larry Roberts. And it turns out that 
after he um, did the movie, he he was part of the All-Star Review, BNCM Review, in television. And then he did some singing recording. He also became a stand-up comic. And then he retired and went back into the clothing business for when he grew, where, where he grew up with. So he didn't do any more acting after this? No, not well, movies. No, he did. He did television. He did record. He did singing, a ton of singing. Hired and went to the clothing business. Um, Ross Toggs was his clothing was a clothing manager. He was, and then um, he died in the eighties on um from AIDS. So mm-hmm. wait, he didn't. He didn't. He he ran a clothing store. He was uh he ran he was a designer. For Russ Togs, which is a clothing manager, according to this webpage. Interesting. And we'll put this in the show notes, people, if you want to read more about about him and <laughs> all the information and about Larry Roberts you could ever hope to find. We dug up. <laughs> all six paragraphs of it. <laughs> no, there's some really good pictures here. There's some really good pictures here of him. Yeah, well, he served. He served in World War uh, Two as well. So there's a whole. But there's stint. A, but I mean, not the Korean. I'm sorry, the Korean War. After the movie, and this oh, so he went. He went to war after the film. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. So, who is everyone's favorite character? I think my favorite character is Old Reliable. Even though he's not in the movie, I like to hear what he says. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> no, I like Trusty. Yeah. I like Trusty. I, I like Trusty. I mean, I like Tramp, but you know, Trusty. Trusty reminds me of. Uh, several people that I have known growing up because I've heard I it wasn't all reliable but it was well as my grandpappy used to say you never get a good dog from a bad one <laughs> and I don't really know what that meant but you know, <laughs> yeah what about you Ted um well I kind of liked um jock a bit just because he has this like little mischievous side to him like when he's very when he's got his little bone stash in the beginning and stuff like that yeah, I. I... <laughs> he he's actually he's actually also my favorite. Um, he, he just seems like he's he's the great friend, the one that everyone goes to for advice, and he's similar to me because he's small and fierce. Small and fierce, nice. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. No, seriously though, he was voiced by Bill Thompson, who also voiced Mister Smee in Peter Pan and the White Rabbit in uh, Alice in Wonderland. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have. I would not have guessed that one. Yeah, me neither. Because yeah, he does, he puts on puts on the accent, and I won't offend our listeners by trying to do a Scottish accent. An old Southern person, I can do because I know enough of them, but Scottish, I can't do. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they come to my house on Christmas. We were talking about that earlier, but anyway. Um, yeah, the other thing I found interesting is when watching the movie, so uh, I'm going to bust out my Disney geek cred here. Over the summer, I went to uh, Marceline, which if you're not familiar with Walt Disney and where he grew up, uh, that was it. That was one of the places. Um, from the time he was about four or where five years that, old. Where is Brian? It is in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Okay. So if you are between... Kansas City and St. Louis and on I-70, drive about 100 miles north, get lost, take a left, and you'll get there. Near BRG, After the third podcast studios, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's probably – so we were in St. Louis before we left. So from, from the BR Guest podcast studios, it is probably a good three to four hours. Okay. Yeah. 
but just looking at that and the pictures. Uh, so if, if, first of all, if you're a Disney fan, um, as I'm assuming everyone listening is, you need to go there. Uh, ask for Debbie Foster at the Bed and Breakfast. She cooks this great ham and egg quiche. Okay, I'm getting off subject. But anyway, um, you need to go there because it's where Walt grew up. And it has had such a profound influence on his films, his theme parks, uh, his life in general. Because the the layout of the street there, obviously, uh, you probably have heard the story, is what inspired the layout of Main Street USA. And so when we were driving into Main Street USA, or, uh, which is the name of the Main Street in Marshall Lane, Missouri, by the way, uh, when we were driving into that street, you can see Main Street in Disneyland if you've ever been there. You can literally see how it was constructed based on this street. But even more so than that, if you look at the, the houses on the way in, the reason why it's relevant here is it looks like the houses that are in this movie. It's very much that Victorian, turn-of-the-century kind of look, even today. And that you see that sort of look in a ton of films from Disney. Like Mary Poppins has it in the English version. Um, you know, it's in uh, Pollyanna. It's in, you know, all of those Americana live-action movies all have that sort of, you know, turn-of-the-century uh, rural Victorian setting. And it just... Uh, when I saw this movie, I'm like, wow, it's just another one. It's, uh, it, first of all, go to Marceline, but second of all, it was interesting to see that, um, carry forward. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. This, it, it actually, um, the, the town that they're in is actually Norfolk, Connecticut, mm-hmm. I believe in the late in the tramp here. Yes. It's, and, and it's, it's actually patterned on a map from like, I think you're right. Like the twenties or something like that of the, of the, what the town looked like back then. Yeah. It's just interesting to me that so many Disney films are set in that, you know, turn of the century to the mid 20s era, you know, because all the films were made in the, in the you know, late 40s through the through the 60s. But um, there's so many of them that are set in that era. Right. Well, it, I mean, while it looks dated, while these all, all the movies look dated right there at the same time, it makes them kind of timeless because everybody can instantly relate to how they look and you don't spend a lot of time going, oh, yeah. You know, it's not like when you watch a sci-fi movie when you have to try and figure out the universe you're in. You're like, oh, this is a street and these are the houses where they live and I can go forward with the story from there. Right. Actually, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely makes it time. I mean, it's the reason why Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom or in Disneyland is created that way. It's the past that we always wanted that never was. Kind of like the same thing they say about Tomorrowland, right? It's the future that never was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, another interesting thing about this film, it was shot in uh, what is referred to as CinemaScope, which basically is really, really widescreen. Yeah, it's uh, about twice as wide as an of a standard screen at the time. Right. And that was that was an issue um, because the animators were used to drawing in in what what we would refer to now as more of a four by three aspect ratio as opposed to the widescreen that I'm sure all of you listening have today in your homes. Uh, so trying to make sure that the characters fit in the frame and all that kind of stuff was, it was a challenge to be sure. Yeah, they had to, um, they had to really relearn a couple of things because, um, what happens is because you have so much space. If you, if you, in a traditional film, right, you center the, you try and, there's, there's three places you try and position um, things, either to the left with scenery to the right, to the right with scenery to the left, or in the center with scenery on both sides. If you do 
if you do um, left and there's characters to the right, then they look way too far away from each other. If you put them in the center, then they look smaller than they should. So there's a lot of uh, games they have to learn how to play very quickly because even though the movie had been you know had been played with for you know almost you know uh, eight or nine years by the time it came out, it um, they didn't actually start working on it until about you know a year and a half to two years before it actually was released in the theater in terms of animation, and CinemaScope was relatively new and it just had to be something that they completely you know dealt with with all these new problems and, and things that they learned along the way. Right. Um, one, of the, one scene in the movie actually was – I think it was originally done not in CinemaScope and they had to keep it but redo the backgrounds on it, which is the, um, the battle between Tramp and the Rat at the end. Mm. Which is why if you look oh, at wow. it, it's – which is why if you look at it, it's like suddenly everything is, is – bigger and taking up the whole screen because it was made for a smaller screen than they initi- than they ended up working. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it, that's a really well done scene too. Cause, I mean, the animation in this movie really is top notch, uh, but that scene in particular reminds me of, and I think this other movie stole that from, stole its animation ideas from here, but the, have you guys ever seen the movie Ricky Tiki Tabby? Ah, indeed. Yeah. There's, there is actually a connection here. Oh, please. Oh, here we go. Illuminate me, Mr. Dun, dun, dun. I've been waiting for this to come up. Ooh, I'm happy. All right. um, So there is... (laughs) Y'all can't see this, but he's actually dancing. Yes. Which is kind of funny. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of people who know me listening right now who can picture me dancing. Um, All right. So there there is an ancient... There's there's an ancient, um, like, fairy tale that um, parents tell their mother in, I believe, the, you know, India, that... Pakistan, that area. Uh, it's called the Brahmin and the Mongoose. Okay, and the story is basically that there's a um, a Brahmin is a, a person of stature. Okay, so and he has a he has a wife and they have a baby, but before that they have a pet mongoose. Okay, and um, and you, you I'm sure Ryan can suddenly see where I'm going with this. Um, so the mongoose um, is. They, they have the baby, and they want to get rid of the mongoose because they're afraid that the mongoose is going to attack the baby. Okay, So they kick it out to the street, and what happens is, is eventually a, a snake gets into the house, Okay, and mongooses do what mongoose is supposed to do, and it goes after the um, – <laughs> the mongoose basically attacks the snake and saves the baby. Okay, yeah, And that's, that's it. Now, now – that story was adapted by Roger Kipling as the story Ricky Ticky Tavi, which is what Ryan is talking about, and that's made into a very famous animated movie of the same name. Now, Ricky Ticky Tavi is in the original Jungle Book. Bet you didn't know that. It's one of these I, stories I in the original, in the original wow. Jungle Book. So, in fact, technically, that's like a connection between Lady and the Tramp and Jungle Book, right there. Yeah. See, ladies and gentlemen, you were missing the visuals, which yeah. made it so much better. <laughs> it did, um, but the, and, and that's the same. You know, it's the same story, and that's what's going on in this scene, right? Because you have um, the the rat is it, it, it's the whole movie, really. Is ladies being kicked out because uh, Aunt Sarah thinks that she's attacked the baby? Okay, that's why she originally is getting the muzzle put on her, and she gets effectively kicked out of the house. 
okay? She comes, she meets Tramp, and Tramp comes back, and then she sends Tramp into rescue, and Tramp is essentially becomes the mongoose, and the rat is the snake, and the exact same battle basically does ensue that ensues in Ricky Ticky Tabby when he saves the baby. When when Ricky Ticky Tabby, who is the mongoose in Ricky Ticky Tabby, by the way, folks, um, saves the baby. So there you go. Okay. That's All cool. Right. No, but I, I remember seeing that movie as a kid. I actually – I think I saw Ricky Ticky Tabby, which is a Chuck Jones uh, movie. So Chuck Jones, famous animator, did lots of Looney Tunes, did How the Grinch Stole Christmas, lots of good stuff. He actually worked at Disney for like a week and a half uh, but couldn't hack it there. Um, and he did this Ricky Ticky Tabby movie. But it, it immediately left to mind when you were talking about the fight scene. And when I saw – when I watched it again and saw the fight scene, the, the fight scene in – his movie was so similar, and it came several, several years later. So, mm-hmm. just something I was, I was thinking about. Ricky Ticky Tavi is literally one of my all-time favorite uh, animated movies, by the way. Outside of Disney, I mean, but it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's really up there. It's just, it's such an enjoyable movie. It's actually one of my favorite audiobooks to listen to, also. I think after the show, we should count how many times the words "Happy Dan," "The Whistling Dog," and "Ricky Ticky Tavi" were said. <laughs> so, I just wanted to make, if it's okay, a couple of. Random rambling okay. comments. Okay, show's over. There you go. <laughs> of the different characters, uh, Peggy Lee, of course, who who sings, he's a tramp. Uh, <laughs> not only voiced Peg, but she also voiced Darling and the cat Cy and Am. Mm-hmm. She's multi-talented, Miss Peggy Lee. She is. She is a multi-talented multitasker. So I wanted to say that. Um, and I don't know if anyone noticed this because it was said kind of quickly. Um, Tony at the restaurant, when, when he was getting ready to serve Lady and Tramp, he called her, instead of a cocker spaniel, he called her a cocker Spanish girl. Yes, I thought that was very funny. Wasn't that good? I don't know if anyone yeah. noticed that, so you guys didn't notice yeah. that. Okay, I thought that was cute. Yeah, no, I, I noticed it too. I'm not sure if it was Tony or his sidekick there, but same, same oh, thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I remember it. The, it was whichever one of them leans down and kind of like looks at her a little bit up close is the one that says it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Coming back to Peggy Lee, she um, had a very sordid history with Disney after this movie. Um, and, and it's actually interesting because it, it basically stemmed into a lawsuit it, and one that um, became slightly precedent setting in terms of its results was. Um, the the concept of it is, is is you have to remember when this movie came out there was no concept of video cassettes let alone DVDs okay or or cassette tapes or anything like that this stuff just did not exist um, and later on as Disney put these things out they put out soundtracks and they put out the movie on VHS and on and on and on and one of because of the way movie studios did contracts with pe- with people going forward is that the people who worked on these things and uh, wrote the songs and all you know did all the artistry on it they did not technically necessarily have rights to these to uh, the proceeds of these future sales okay Bec- and the um, the mo- the studios would always play the the card of well on the technology of the day they got their they got their kickbacks but they never got but they were not do kickbacks on technologies that did not exist at the time that they signed their contracts. And Peggy Lee spent much of her adult life after this movie, once once these new mediums came into effect, fighting them, fighting Disney in court. Um, she fi- her final lawsuit started in I think like 1987 or 1988, um, and it went. It wasn't until um, 1992, I think, when she was finally awarded about three. 
and a half million dollars as a settlement for all of this. And uh, the the idea was that she basically owned the rights to her movies and all. I'm uh, not her, not the movies, the uh, songs that she wrote for the movie because she wrote all the worded the voice pieces for the movie basically, except for Bella Note, which was a song that already existed. Um, and um, she um, she basically owned the rights and. What what occurred is there's this concept of transcription is because she wrote the songs, Disney transcribed them for the movie. So who which it depends on who owns the uh, transaction there, and that was the that was a big crux of the lawsuit for probably about two years in the middle right there, and then about the third year in they basically decided yes she was right, and then they spent another year in court deciding how much money her rightness was worth. So and that's that's why. Um, the um, creators of Superman ended up with winning their case later on in that, you know, and getting money back and, and on and on and on. You know, because right after she won her case, there was a cascade of similar cases that just came down the line and were all closed out and paid out for the same exact reason. So there you go. And there you have the history of Miss Peggy Lee. Yeah, that's something. She's a very litigious lady. I bet she, she is. fought for things, yes. <laughs> I imagine she made she. Uh, I imagine these songs from this movie made her a lot of money based off of that, just based on the various mediums they've come out in. Um, yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly how much in the end result on the songs. I know how much she made it from that case, but not specifically how much she made over time. And Disney's yeah, still just, using them. I looked it up on IMDb, and they're still doing stuff with her stuff. So, yeah, that mm-hmm. does not surprise me. Interesting. Um, there's um there's a couple of other interesting um voice actors in here. For, first of all, there's Alan Reed. Now Alan Reed I like because he's uh he's the original voice for Fred Flintstone. Ah. Yeah, but Yeah, but I can only do Barney Rubble, so don't that's you know, or Yogi Bear because they're the same exact thing. So one of the characters I found to be an underestimated character would be the Beaver, because he came to Lady's Rescue. He was like the godsend of the film. Because without him, Lady would still have her muzzle. This is a very good that's, point. That's right. But he got tricked. I mean, basically, Tramp played him to to release her. So. Well, yeah, but still, he did save her. He did. He, he absolutely did. Muzzle as a tool. So. That's right. Well, or at least convince himself that he did. <laughs> um, the the character, by the way, is played by Stan Freeberg, who's very who's um got voice credits up the wazoo in the animated um, category. He was um, he was Speedy Gonzalez. Um, he was Mr. Magoo, I believe, as well. He was? Um, yeah. I think so. Um, trying to think. He did a number of characters on various Bugs Bunny shows along the way. Um, he was on The Wuzzles, um, Ren and Stimpy, also, he was on and, Ren and Stimpy? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what. Uh, he was Jimmy Lummox. I, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't, recognize, I don't yeah. recognize it. It's been so long since I watched that. Um, he was the Gopher King on the Duck Dodgers TV series that was uh, short-lived. Um, and, a num- and a number of things. I guess he's got this Gopher Beaver thing going on. Just caught there. Apparently. Apparently. Pete Puma. Oh. Pete Puma, you say? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and just a couple of things I noticed. The, the, not, not you know, big points, but it's interesting that like there's some things in this movie that carry forward into some other movies, like the fact of the women who distrust the the female distrusting the male, like Tramp and like Lady mistrusting Tramp. You know, we saw that entangled that we talked about a few weeks back. Um, and and then something that seemingly is becoming a staple of Disney movies these days is the the death fake out. You guys know what I'm talking about here with exactly. Trusty. Yes. So at the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it yet, Trusty uh, is racing to to save um, to save Tramp from the dog catcher, and he gets hit, and it the scene ends, and you think that Trusty is dead. It turns out he's not. And- God, though, the cry from Jock, too. It's like, you, you're yeah. like, oh. ready, that's it. You know, it's like the worst thing in the world. So. I cry like a baby every time I watch that film and that scene comes on. Seriously. Yeah. Even though you know he's still going to be alive, like, he's still do, do you right. tend, when, the, when the When the horses are kind of rearing up, do you kind of, like, tense up knowing it's kind of coming? Cause yeah, I, and it's like, do I really have to watch this? You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, and, but we saw the same thing, again, in Tangled, and I think we've seen it in other movies. Where, you know, entangled, it was Flynn Rider, who's very much like Han Solo, who ended up being the person who we thought was dead and turned out not to be. Yeah. You, you ever think that Tramp is a little like Han Solo? I have thought that, actually. <laughs> it's in fact, so, so I'm just, all right, you brought it up, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. All right. well, let's say let's just say that lady is like Princess Leia and get it over with. That's where I was headed. Right. Oh wait, no. No, wait, Scamp Scamp is Luke Skywalker. Whoa! Only if Tramp oh. is Darth Vader. <laughs> Mind blow. Wait, wait. Does that mean Trusty is Chewbacca the Wookiee? No, I think you'd say Trusty and uh, Jock would be R two D two and C three PO. Oh, true. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I do think I do think there's there's parallels between Tramp, Lady and Tramp and Princess Leia and Han Solo. I'm just saying we're not going to go into it. I'm just saying it's there. Say you know what? Yeah. Somebody should write a an essay about it, and we will talk about it. On we'll send it to George program. Lucas too. Yeah, we will. <laughs> I don't know how we'll do that, but we'll do it. We'll oh, we'll find a way. It'll be like it'll be like the movie Fanboys. Anybody seen the movie Fanboys? We haven't ruined a movie tonight, so we need to ruin a different movie. Oh yeah, go ahead. The movie. Okay, go. You for haven't it. seen the movie Fanboys? It's it's a no. uh, no. uh, quick summary for four geeks take their friend who's dying of cancer to Skywalker Ranch so they can break in and see Star Wars one before it comes out. Oh. That's that's the whole plot of the movie. It's the same idea basically. All right. Oh. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> Not all right, so. So what are we going to – we're going to rate this movie uh, one to five. Uh, Bree, go. I am going to give this a solid four stars. Um, I, I love this film. I really do. It's, it's just I get so worn out. I'm so tired after watching it because I get dehydrated from crying so much. So many of the scenes – like pull at my heartstrings from the pound, but especially the part with Trusty getting hit by the carriage. I mean, that just about does me in. I, I like literally sob just as much as when Nemo's mother dies and in, in finding Nemo. And see, I just ruined the part of that movie. But anyway, Ding, that's um, true. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Let's go for a lightning speed round. Here. <laughs> lightning <laughs> round of ruining other films. <laughs> but yeah, no, solid four stars. All right, Todd. I feel like I'm the McLaughlin group. Todd Perlmutter, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly, um, 
I'm going to go with three and a half stars. I mean, there's a lot of things that I love about this movie. The overall story is actually not one of them. So I have to say that, well, I like, I like the scenes and I like the things that go on in it a lot. I just think the story is not it, – it's kind of not for me a little bit. And I don't mean the love stuff. I kind of dig it. I love the spaghetti scene and all that. It's just there's something missing. There's things that bother me. I don't understand why the darlings go away. The deer or the deers go away, or what you know, it, it, things like that. So, you've not had kids after like the first six weeks. You just you're ready to drop them. You just you're, <laughs> you're done. I'm just being honest. Yeah, you can't put them in a kennel like I can with Jasper. So, right, you just after the first six weeks, you call Aunt Sarah and you're like, "Look, we're gonna be gone for a while." Okay, just. Get <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, all right. So on my end, I also will go with the uh, with the three and a half, uh, like you, Todd. I think it's for the same reason too, because I think the story in this one is good. It's there, but I feel like there's just not enough kind of meat to the bones of the story, right? It's not. I don't feel like it's developed enough. We talked about how Tramp doesn't necessarily have a backstory, which is not not a bad thing necessarily, but it it just feels like there's that's a hole that even there could have been a little bit more there, or we could have had a little bit more about with lady and the tramp together. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's, there was definitely some things that could have been there that weren't there, but all in all, I do, I do like it. And it, it is a good, it is a good, good film. So, all right. Three and a half stars for me, three and a half for Mr. Todd Perlmutter and four for Miss Brianna Alessio. Is that about to sum it up guys? Sounds I'm good. Business. All right. All right. So that's going to do it for our show this week. We hope you have enjoyed our look at Lady and the Tramp. Until our next program, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter, where we discuss all of the amazing and wonderful things we'll be talking about on future shows, be it uh, Han Solo, what movies we're going to ruin, what wonky sluices will be going on, uh, all of these things. Uh, you know, legal precedence was brought up this week. I don't know where that happened, but legal precedence was brought up uh, when we were talking about this. And Peggy Lee, I'm assuming, is where that came in. But there you go. So uh, visit us at the website, DisneyFilmProject.com, right there on the right-hand side of the site. You can listen to the show, and you can get all the links to download the show. Uh, go leave us a review on iTunes, please. That would be very helpful. Uh, throughout the week, months, years ahead, visit us at uh, DisneyDrivenLife.com and TouringPlans.com. Todd and I uh, do lots of work with those wonderful, fine folks and we hope that you go visit them. And Miss Bree, of course, as I mentioned before, has quite a lot of adventures at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. They are, they are wonky, sluicious adventures. Uh, if you like the show, please, everyone, tell your friends. Tell other people about the show. Tell your mom about the show. I, I'm sure your mom enjoys films. I'm sure she enjoys, you know, Disney. Tell her about the show. Really. I mean, next time you're over for dinner, just say, hey, mom, I have a show for you. Please. Um, Load it up on an iPod, hand it to her. Exactly. Put it on her new Verizon iPhone. Um, <laughs> or however you want to do it, just spread the word and join us in our admiration of the wide world of Disney films. So until then, we will see you next week on Disney Film Project. Bye, y'all. Bye, everyone. Later. Later.